Bienvenue à Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere who can't speak French. <laughs> Je suis Amina Tussaud. And I'm Anne Friedman. <laughs> On this week's agenda, Stormy Daniels continues to be the best. A SESTA update, which continues to be the worst. Wild Wild Country and a dive into what it might look like if Amina were a cult leader. I mean, I'm joining, right? Plus, Allie Raisman is so great in the face of people who are so awful. Bonjour Anne Friedman, comment ça va? Uh, you know, you are really just touching like a very sore point about my merely barely bilingual existence in this world. Oh girl, you know I just wanted to say Anne Friedman because that's how my dad calls you. <laughs> I mean, it, it truly never sounds better than when you say it in a French accent, right? Oh, listen, we're going to do some Duolingo this year. You got this. Okay, does Duolingo really work? As somebody who is a level seven German Duolingo user, yes, it does work. <laughs> like, okay, in the sense of it works, like you could take a trip to Germany and, you know, read a few signs and okay, have an okay so, experience. Or okay. like, does it work? Like, you know, could you hook up with someone in Germany? <laughs> okay, first of all, I could definitely hook up with someone in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> the international language. <laughs> So here's the deal. I'm not going to do a Duolingo ad, but, you know, as somebody who has mastered many languages later in life, and by many languages, I mean just English. <laughs> later, okay, English is, is many languages. Let's be real. No rules. The problem with Americans and languages is that your educational system has failed you, but also English supremacy has failed you. Because everybody speaks English everywhere. Oh, all around. I think that in, if you want to learn a language, two skills are very necessary. One is persistence. And two is not being embarrassed of making mistakes. A thing that Americans are very bad at. Americans hate to make mistakes. I would say especially the types of Americans who aspire to know multiple languages are very bad at that. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's always people who are like, I read Chaucer. But like they can't order a taco in Los Angeles in Spanish. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So not afraid of being silly or sounding dumb. That's honestly the thing that will take you as far as possible. And when I say be persistent, that's what I like about Duolingo. Like, are you going to be able to read a magazine based on your Duolingo skills? Absolutely not. But are you going to be able to understand like basic requirements of like grammar and, you know, like small phrases that'll like get you around wherever it is that you're going? Absolutely. And also because it's gamified, you build that muscle of like checking in all the time. Because really language is just like you need to know how the grammar works and then you need to acquire vocabulary. The hardest part is working out how the grammar works. Vocabulary acquisition is literally just content. <laughs> it's like, well, at this point you can read magazines, you can watch TV shows. I've been watching like a bunch of German TV shows with the subtitles on. And I don't feel confident enough that I can like carry on a five minute conversation in German, but I'm definitely like, oh, I recognize words. I get how this works now. All I'm saying is, Anne, I can get you to do this podcast intro in French in like two weeks. 
Okay. I mean, I just am going to need an app that's not gamified. I get very resentful. Like this was my problem with like meditation apps that shall not be named that are gamified where I'm like, I don't need to feel like I'm leveling up or like that I've got a streak. I'm like, I just need, I just need you to meet my needs. I just, I'm not very responsive to that kind of competition. No, I hear you. I think that, you know, the gamification is not about competition. It literally is just about checking in as much as possible. I still don't feel like I'm a fully competent English speaker because I don't feel like fully self-expressed in English. I hope that that will change one day. But, you know, it's like the thing is that you just have to check in all the time. It's why I love reading. Tell me what language you're trying to get better at and we'll find you trashy magazines in that language. Okay, well, you know, now I have a new goal of uh, having like four lines of dialogue in French with you at the top of this podcast. <laughs> I like, listen, you, you got it. French is like stupid easy. You got this. Even as a native speaker, come now. <laughs> listen, French, honestly, not that hard. All of these romance languages, like if you know how to do like a three clause sentence, like which I know that you know how to do, like you'll be fine. <laughs> Okay. And also here's the other thing, right, that I will tell you too, a thing that like stresses people out when they're language learning is that they can't separate out understanding the language, but also being able to do the accent, right? The accent like really does not matter. It's like you can sound as stupido if you want, but <laughs> you should, if you can say what you can say, like people will understand you. So don't stress out. I got you. I am confident in my inability to do accents. For me, it's like it's a skill next to singing or like like musical theater or something that I will just never possess. Like like making making your like throat and mouth makes like very specific sounds. I'm like, no, like mechanics are the only way for me. So this resonates. <laughs> this Listen, very much resonates. If I can do this fake Valley Girl accent that I've been doing for I don't know how many years now, you got this. I'm fully confident about this. Don't worry. You mean all of our hate mail about how much we say like could have been averted by you just adopting a slightly different accent? Right. Like, you know, if it was cool for people not to say like on television when I was coming up, maybe I would have had a perfect diction. But sorry. Wow. I was watching Daria. I think your diction is perfect right now. Oh okay. My God. Exactly as it is. Merci beaucoup, Anne Friedman. <laughs> I don't even know how to say thank you in French. <laughs> Merci. Thank you. I know, I know, I know. I'm being I'm being sarcastic. You got it. You um, got it. You got it. We're gonna get Gina up in here doing Spanish intros. Gina's Spanish is flawless. Oh no, like, flawless. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's such a babe, too. Yummy voice in Spanish. Can you imagine? Wow. Stop sexually objectifying Gina on this podcast. <sighs> Listen, I love her for her brain. But, you know, because we're a podcast, I feel like people don't get the visual enough. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Gina, you can you can file a complaint at the EEOC. I love you. You're beautiful. Slash, and slash, ed edit this out. <laughs> exactly. You're beautiful and smart. <laughs> quickest of updates is that we we had our LA blood drive in the time since we have last podcasted and it was wonderful and I just um, want to put in a, another reminder to go to callyourgirlfriend.com slash blood drive and most of our drives have full appointment times but you can walk in in most of them and I, I have been finding that later in the day it tends to slow down but maybe that'll vary city by city Walk in and you can give because there's always a few people who have appointments who are unable to donate for some reason. And if you can't or don't want to do that on the actual day, sign up for a different day. Sign up with Be The Match to be a bone marrow donor. All of that is at callyourgirlfriend.com slash blood drive. And we will see everyone at the drive in New York very soon. And 
I have a little plug about taking care of your health. I've noticed that a lot of you are writing to me about how you're, you feel really bad that you're anemic and you can't give blood. Please don't feel bad that you can't give blood. Are you kidding me? This is my best scam yet, is getting the healthy people to help all of us. We're fine. But second of all, anemia is like very, very bad. And if you're a woman who has a period, you probably have anemia. It's something that's really easy to correct if you catch it on time. So just taking an iron supplement. I'm a fan of Floridix, but honestly, I love how that sounds. Floridix? Floridix? I've never said it out loud. That LOL. totally sounds like an asshole from a specific state. Yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. Um, which is like one that is liquid because, you know, the stuff is like hard on your stomach. But really, you can take any iron supplement over the counter. The only thing is take it with some vitamin C because it works better that way. And don't take it on an empty stomach. And, you know, you don't have to take it every day of your life because it'll definitely make your poop look weird. No joke. But you should take it around your period at least. It's like anemia is bad. Now that I don't have it, I'm like, I can't believe I used to live that way. It's like terrible. The other thing that I've loved is all the international people who are doing their own blood drives. Thank you so much. I love seeing the snacks that they give in other countries. This woman from Sweden Instagram me and Anne. The Swedish snacks are out of control. Hit me. Tell me about all of them. You would have loved it so much. It was like finger sandwiches. It was like cheese and Ugh. cucumber on bread. And I was just like, this is such an Anne Friedman jam. You know I love a tiny sandwich. I know. <laughs> it's so good. And in Canada, they have these like really rad pins that they give them whenever they give blood. And I'm like, I'm trying to go give blood in Canada now because I need that pin for my denim jacket. So, uh... I just like, I'm so touched. I like, seriously, I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience that this is happening, but we're helping so many people. So thank you. So many. And yeah, and if you did give on your own somewhere or on a different day, not at the drive, there are forms on our website that you can fill out and tell us that you gave so that we can count you in part of our pint total because you know it's going to be high. And I definitely want everyone who gave as part of this effort, if they want to be counted, to be counted. That's right. The million pint march marches on. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, also, doc, keep documenting the snacks. Like now I am also, I can't believe that this was not a request earlier, but like it is true that the snacks were the number one topic of conversation at the LA Blood Drive. And I want to know, I want to know all the regional international differences. Okay, what's going on in the news? Yeah. Oh my God, and <laughs> there's so much going on in the news, but we finally reached a crescendo of the news that I'm, I'm into, a tale as old as time, an American president and a porn star. We have reached this part of the season, in this season of America. How is this not, this is every season truly, like, but yeah. <laughs> Except for Obama, you know, the writers of the Obama season did not go there with um, all of the cliches that American presidents are saddled with. The Obama years were a comedy and we've gone back to our dramatic roots. Oh my God. You know how there is like the feeling of so much news related to our terrible Cheeto president that it is almost impossible like week over week to remember what has happened, to like string it all together, to like things that would have been major scandals affecting any other presidency are somehow forgotten blips. Because there's and, like, too many of them. Exactly. And through all of that muck, who would have thought one that with like possibly true staying power was Stormy Daniels? 
Oh, Who would have thought? So can I tell you something very embarrassing? Obviously, I've been following the Stormy Daniels thing since the beginning because, you know, you say porn star and all of us in America go, ooh, this is the thing that will actually take him down because we're all hypocrites around here. What's going on? <laughs> when I was reading all the articles about her, I felt so dumb that I didn't realize that Stormy Daniels is obviously a stage name. Okay, this is hard in an era of reality TV babies sometimes to know right. what is a like, stage Stormy, name and like, what is I was not. like, like Kylie's baby is literally named Stormy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the baby was born circa Stormy Daniels. So I was like, what is Kylie trying to do here? But anyway. Right. A I was tale like, of two Stormies. <laughs> I know. I felt really dumb. I was like, oh, this, this shows how much I keep up with pornography. But um, Stormy is like a very compelling person. On her 60 Minutes interview... She was wearing a button-up shirt. And, you know, like, I'm a busty lady. She's a busty lady. And all I was like, where did you get that shirt from? I was mesmerized. There is no peeking. Like, it looked great. Listen, she is a businesswoman. She'll be the first to tell you that. She is a boss lady. When you have those kind of dollars, you get custom shirts, right? Like, this is what's going on. And she totally is a business lady, actually. And I really like that about her, that she's, like, very transparent about what's going on here. She's somebody who's been really good about manipulating media attention before. She explored running for office. It's like she's been in the news before, before or after this president. But the details were really horrifying. She was like spanked him with a Forbes magazine with his face (laughs) on it. The Obama years, it was literally like, it was a sitcom. It was like the sweet little comedy, you know, like PG on NBC. And we are really back to the down and dirty over here. Like this is... Right, unless you were were paying attention to some like right-wing media, in which case the scandals of the Obama years were like, he wore a tan suit or put his feet up on a desk, right? Like that was like, yeah, sitcom level like (sighs) drama. The thing about the Stormy Daniels thing is that there is a world in which it's just like, yes, Republican hypocrisy all over again. There is nothing wrong with like two consensual adults having a relationship. It's like, leave us out of it. But, you know, in America, we sexualize our politicians like sex lives, sometimes for good reasons, because they're hypocrites. And most times because we do it for for sport and entertainment. And it's really messed up. But the truth of the matter is that like this isn't actually about the sex scandal. It is about the payoff that happened here. And what relationship these people have had since he's become president. Clearly, there is some hanky-panky going on. I'm like, what's going on with the money? I also just want to back up and say that, like, while for the most part, this has not been couched in terms of something like assault. Like, in the 60 Minutes interview, she described a situation that like the well the New York Times description is that she was quote at best unenthusiastic about which like you know like we know what these euphemisms mean right and and she claims that the horrible steaming turd of a president said to her you put yourself in a bad situation and bad things happen so you deserve this right and you know and it also goes to like show so much of how we treat people who who make porn, people who are sex workers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this idea that they deserve bad things that happen to them is like actually fucked up. It's like, no, this is their place of employment. So like one, fuck you. It's like, this is how rape culture like permeates everything. Pornography and sex work is about capitalism. It's not about shaming people into any kind of sexual interaction. Right. I just I just wanted to back up and say that because it is not something that has been at the forefront here. Yeah. Like, you're totally right that what has been at the forefront is settlements and lawsuits and non-disclosure agreements and that sort of thing. 
which is all well and good and interesting and why, like, you know, she is really owning her power on that front for sure. I just, because of the exact reasons you mentioned, like, for, you know, tale as old as time, anyone who engages in any kind of sex work has been considered unrapeable. Um, yeah, and, and we've really yeah. really messed up. No, I totally agree with you. Like, we don't actually know what this story is about because at the heart of it is non-disclosures and two people who love publicity. Where I'm like, okay, there are facts and then there is the circus that everybody is bringing to town. But also, we don't actually know what the dispute is about. Well, we do know a figure, $130,000. Yeah, we know that $130,000 like passed hands. We know that Stormy Daniels was threatened, which honestly is like really messed up. And as par for the course, there are a lot of people who have had like NDA dealings with Trump. We also know that Stormy's lawyer is so zaddy. My God. Every time he's on TV, I'm like, what is her story? Uh, <laughs> Wait, way to skip over the fact that like people <laughs> close to Trump have been physically threatening people who <laughs> like who re- have something like against him business wise or are in a position to harm his reputation. There are a couple of BuzzFeed articles um, going back, you know, like last year. This is not brand new or anything, but incidents where people are going to the police to be like, um, hello, someone associated with Donald Trump. Yep. Is physically threatening me. So not that we need to double down on her credibility, but there is a pattern of behavior outside of this incident that completely supports her argument that she signed this agreement because she was afraid for her physical safety. Yes, 100% true. And, you know, you know, ancient political proverb, it's always about the cover-up. So we'll see where this goes. But I think that this, there's another woman who is also suing Trump for the right to like talk about her NDA and their agreement. It's like there's a lot of smoke there. There are a lot of people who are being intimidated and are being silenced. You know, it's like who knows what the next episode will bring. Yeah. I have really just enjoyed getting to know Stormy Daniels. Like I I we talked about that long New York Times feature about some of the details of her life and her upbringing and her hustle and her business choices. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you see the anecdote about her high school yearbook quote? Oh my God, tell me. Her high school yearbook quote was, we will all get along just fine as soon as you realize that I am queen. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, is this Aminatou So's high school yearbook? Oh my God, I can't talk about my high school yearbook quote, but it's going to come back to bite me one day. Don't you worry. But wow. Yeah, no, I I like that she's in control. Like she's in control of her own narrative. She's in control of her own power. You know, and so many of the Trump supporters like troll her all the time on Twitter. And her stance about it is, what are you going to say about me that people haven't said before? Right. Yeah. And there is something about that, too, of like, I don't want to downplay people who experience extreme harassment on the Internet. That is very, very real. I'm not saying it's no big deal. But watching her kind of like flip and cutting replies to people who say things like, pretty sure that dumb whores go to hell. And she's like, woo, glad I'm a smart one. I know. You know like, and, and, you know, maybe it doesn't feel that way inside her world. Like maybe these things are damaging. But you're right. There's got to be something about having chosen a profession where people are dismissing you all the time that has made her ready to weather the storm of the, like, 
MAGA people. <laughs> no, you know, and I like, and I love every time she talks about money in um, the two profiles of her that I read because she started off as a stripper and then she made the leap into porn. But even like her boss at the strip joint was like, we knew she was destined for big things. And she had been like saving all of her stripper money. And she's like, I have good credit and I own property. And I was like, you know, this is the stuff that young ladies need to be talking about. Here is Stormy Daniels in like all of her young like 20s glory and she's like she's understands the economic game and she understands like where the odds are stacked against her and she's like taking life by the reins yeah i also did not know or did not remember that in 2009 when do you remember david vitter u.s senator from louisiana i remember that um, and then she like explored running for his seat yeah he was basically ousted because he had engaged the services of a sex worker and she was like guess what I'm gonna run and guess what the my work experience does not make me unqualified for office in fact I'm a real working American and like I'm running so Oz did not win but her slogan was screwing people honestly I love that she should go into politics I mean, she is in politics, right? Like, I mean, I know she is not. <laughs> I know. She is, though. I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying she should get paid, like, um, you know, like, taxpayer rates for p- being in politics. Yeah. Also, this Times profile ends with a quote from the agent who manages her bookings, which is, is definitely goals for you and me. It just says, quote, she likes to maximize her profits. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Stormy Daniels. Uh, yeah, Thank you for your like, service. Young Stormy has so much to live up to with her, not her namesake, but her her name-sharing icon. Oh, my God. Stormy, Stormy Kardashian? Yep. Stormy K. You know, those kids, the new generation, they're probably all going to be like doctors and lawyers. Maybe. I can't wait till we're doing this podcast in another 30 years. Just kidding. <laughs> Please, just kidding. Um, you know, empires rise and fall. Yeah. The new generation um, is But coming. like, okay, I got to say, as a side note, it's been really like, it's been really nice to see this credulous treatment of Stormy Daniels by like the profiles that she's getting and some of the commentary, which frankly is frustrating when it's directed towards someone like Ivanka, who we are just like screaming about the level of scam that's going on. And I I think that it's just like, it's so great to be like, you know, the fact that it ends with that quote about maximizing her profits, it's like, yeah, it's all kind of a scam on some level. And it can also be true that this president is a horrible, threatening person who deserves to like have everyone know about everything he's done. Like all of these things can be true. She can both be like a scammer in her own way. And also like this president deserves to get scammed. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Scam, you know, scam before you get scammed. That's, that's the American way. Speaking of 
uh, hypocritical and counterproductive things. Uh, we talked about SESTA on a previous episode of this podcast. Um, Ooh, do you have a SESTA update for us? I mean, I do. I wish it was a better one. So basically, it was a bill that claimed to be ending sex trafficking or fighting sex trafficking. In fact, it was making online platforms more liable for their users' speech. And so, like, certain platforms where people who engaged in sex work had posted messages, had shared resources, were going to be prevented from doing that there. And so people, uh, lots of well-meaning celebrities were in favor of this bill. Lots of people who had actually worked in a lot of the industries affected were against it. And uh, it passed. That's the update. The Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act and Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. There was sort of like a combination of those things that passed. Everything is so annoying right now. Yeah. um, Are you proud of yourself, Amy Schumer? Are you proud of yourself? I was reading some quotes from people who had campaigned against this bill. And like on the upside, it is a it is a catalyzing thing that got places like this very podcast to discuss an issue that like we had not taken up yet. Like there is there is some kind of silver lining. Everyone is still trying to figure out exactly what this is going to mean on a tech level and for the lives and safety of people who work in these professions. It's like much of it is TBD, but Okay. Oh yeah. We'll keep an eye on it. Unforge update, maybe not surprising. Speaking of the mainstream media stirring up the pot, I have watched this Netflix six-part documentary called Wild Wild Country literally three times now. Important cult television. (laughs) Oh my God. This bullseye dead center of my Venn diagram is immigration fraud and cults. And this has both. (laughs) So I'm like lost in my mind. Wild Wild Country is about Bhagwan Rajneesh, who if you've backpacked anywhere and stayed at a hostel, you're very familiar with uh, the teachings of Osho. And I'd like known about this cult for a long time. But what I did not know is that in the 80s, they moved to a like tiny town in central Oregon and basically kind of try to take over. (laughs) And the reason that this is like fascinating is because it's actually like an incredible parallel for the Trump years. You know, it's like tale as old as time. White people are living somewhere with their Mayflower mentality. Indian cult moves in and the like townspeople lose their mind. <laughs> Especially because the, the cult is charismatic and converting lots of white people. <laughs> I mean, the cult is fascinating because the cult is 100% scam. And which is why I've kind of secretly always loved Osho is that Bhagwan, the, 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 I was going to say the scam leader, the cult leader, they've been really clear from the beginning that they love capitalism. You know, that's like my jam where literally like one of his teachings is one of the dumbest things that all religions do is like say that money's not important. He's like, not here. Hello. My man has like 20 Rolls Royces. He has a million dollar Rolex. Like, I'm just like, I love this shit. He also predates like American evangelical prosperity gospel people who are like, like God wants you to get rich, right? Like he predates that by decades and decades. Totally, you know, and he's like, yeah, it's like that new wave mysticism, but also like white people are crazy, right? So it's like the guru is Indian. He has uh, what he calls a secretary, which is basically a chief of staff. And this is like cult leader goals. The cult leader does nothing. 
Like he just hangs out and somebody hands him a Rolls Royce and I'm pretty sure he plays Xbox the rest of the time. And he's just like, I'm in silence for five years. But the chief of staff has to do all of the work. And I was like, wow, goals. Look at this. He learned how to delegate and he doesn't have to deal with anybody's shit. And so his number two is this woman, Ma'anan Sheila, who is like, Sheila is the best. She is so wild. But the reason the documentary is fascinating is that, you know, in typical like liberal lefty documentary form, the documentarians are really tough on the townspeople, which the townspeople are 1000% bigots. Yeah, I'm shocked that like old rich people in central Oregon don't want like a cult to move next to them. And people who say that they're Christians actually don't respect other religious minorities. Like I'm shocked, (laughs) (laughs) but they like kind of let the cult skate by because you know, the cult is like nuanced and interesting. And I've noticed this a lot with a lot of like cultish reexaminations of the nineties. There is a, there's a TV show right now about David Koresh, Waco on Paramount with our boyfriend, Tim Riggins. Please, that's not a that's not a plural that's not a plural first person. That, he's your boyfriend. Listen, no, I meant our boyfriend, America's boyfriend. <laughs> also disagree. Go on, <laughs> fool. Tim Riggins. What is the actor's name? Taylor Kitsch. But so in that, the movie is basically about how like oh these Branch Davidians were just like chill people trying to live like Talmudic law, and the FBI overreacted. And I'm like, you know, my third eye is wide open, so I'm going to submit to you that. The FBI definitely is bad and they're always overreacting, but also cults are bad. <laughs> so that's what's going on. But back to Wild Wild but Country. Do you think One it's thing because that- it makes for more interesting narrative? Like that's my perspective is like it's more interesting to consider like what if these are empathetic people? Like what if David Koresh wasn't like doing horrible things? It's just like it makes for a more interesting story than Listen. like a straight up good versus evil. I hear you. I totally hear you. Cult leaders are nuanced. Like sure. And I definitely think that the Branch Davidians were nuanced and even um, the Rajneeshis and Osho is very, very nuanced. But I think that you can also hold up a lot of the shit that they do wrong to them. Like the the Branch Davidians were like marrying 14-year-olds. I know, I know. Listen, I'm not like, defending. I'm just saying, saying the desire for like a kind of narrative complexity is what drives a lot of the probably more generous than necessary portrayals. I know, but yeah. I also think that it's like a classic liberal flaw, right? There has to be a binary and somebody has to be like nuanced and like know a little better and then the other people are evil and I was like no no you can sit on the sidelines and go these this is both bad this train wreck which is what I think that most black people do in life all the time (laughs) is sit on the sidelines and go I'm skeptical about all of this (laughs) but um one of the things that's fascinating in wild wild country is to see how the media like played such a huge part in stirring up the situation You know, it's like 80s TV. The archival footage is amazing. It was like right after Jonestown. So everybody's like, oh my God, cults are bad. In fact, like one congressman, Leo Ryan, who died at Jonestown, his daughter became a Rajneeshi. Wow. So it's like wild stuff. But um, I'm not going to ruin it for you. All I will say is that Another thing that is very Trumpian about all of this is that <laughs> the woman who is like the the secretary, chief of staff, Sheila, who's amazing, I feel about her like how Make America Great Again feel pe- about Trump, where she's just like the real talk express. There's this amazing footage of her in the beginning where a reporter is basically like, ugh, why are you guys coming to Oregon? And she's like, tough titties. <laughs> like she just does not care. And I was like, I love this. I love that she says everything that goes through her mind. Anyway, long story short, watch this documentary. It is fascinating parallel for our times. 
you will never hear so many people speak and not believe a single one of them. You're like, all of you are liars on every side here. I mean, I think, okay, like, I think that there is also an appeal to watching a cult documentary, whatever, even narrative things that are based on cults, because it is like, there is this sense of containment, right? Where it's like, oh, if you're in the cult, like, you know, things are, things are super intense or you've swallowed a certain narrative or whatever. And then if you're not in the cult, then like you can kind of see clearly what's going on. And like, again, not to harp on this point about narrative, but like that is a really attractive thing to people and to viewers, right? Like rather than thinking about like how we are all implicated in like, you know, how we're all susceptible to the message of like, God wants us to be rich or whatever, you know, like God does want me to be rich. What? I mean, it's definitely (laughs) true when you look at like charitable donation patterns that most people believe that God wants them to keep their wealth. So, um, but yeah, but you know, like the sense of like, oh, we can kind of other it, right? Like, oh, what happened in this cult over here has to do with these people over here. And it's interesting and it's fascinating. Like we can peer in on this fishbowl, but at the end of the day, the implications are not extreme for me. No, it's true. That's true. The other thing about this that's fascinating is that this is like a cult for smart people, which was very strange. It's like, oh, here are all these architects and farmers and like the best lawyers. They're like building a city out of nowhere. And, you know, and I definitely felt that like when I was backpacking after college and I would meet people that were into this stuff. I'm like, wow, you seem really reasonable. Like what's going on here that you're into this weird stuff? Some of that is, like, evidenced by the fact that, like, they really thought that the Constitution was going to protect them. I was like, what? Only, like, wild white people, like, led by two Indian scammers, think that the Constitution of the United States, these United States, is what is going to keep their religion alive. I'm like, that is crazy. But they really use, like, all of the civic tools to their disposal. I love it. They're, like, running elections, like incorporating towns home rule it's great i'm just like wow like when you believe in the system like this is how you get screwed oof also i have to tell you that i watched the first episode of this the day before the blood drive the the la blood drive and i had already planned a head-to-toe red outfit and and it it was kind of like you know your your leftovers phase where you were guilty remnanting in the white caftan all the time where i was like wow i am i know that like a large percentage of the people who are coming to this blood drive are in the target demo for cult documentaries and they are really going to think that I am influenced heavily <laughs> by my Netflix watching lately. <laughs> it's like Ma Anand and Friedman <laughs> with her like Rajneeshi gear. Listen, if it's I were more motivated, so I could be shilling right now. <laughs> you know, I like don't like people enough to either be in a cult or be a cult leader. I mean, I... I think that you have some cult leader tendencies that could be like in the, you know, okay, not like for the Sheila role, but for like the like Bhagwan role where you're like, I'm meditating in silence. All of my followers, give me your money. I see you could run that scam. Like you could definitely run that scam. It's not my fault. People love to listen to me. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. It's not, it's not your fault that you have such deep eyes, like pools of the universe, right? Not your fault. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I don't, I just don't get it. I'm like, you know, it's the same reason that like I couldn't be in the army. I'm like, I don't like people telling me what to do and I don't like people biting my style. There is a fundamental joinerism to being in a cult. I know it's, it sounds obvious, but like I I am not a joiner. (laughs) Yep. Not a joiner, not a joiner at 
all. I had a conversation recently with some friends about like what activities everyone did when we were teenagers, like what school sanctioned clubs. And I just, I was just shocked to find out how many of my friends were like in tons of clubs, like, like school sanctioned clubs. I know I was only in clubs because I was trying to go to a good college. You Listen, know what I'm saying? Right. You only need like two to go to a good college. Like exactly. these are people who legit love clubs. And I feel, mm-hmm. I feel like there is, a, there is something about person, a certain personality is more susceptible to cult living. Yeah. It's like why I played like individual sports. Shout out badminton. <laughs> like, is that I'm an individual to... sport? Don't you have a partner? Yeah. I mean, I love playing badminton doubles for real. And I played that with my frenemy in high school and then we became real friends. It was great. It's true. Everything they say about sports, your enemies can become your friends. <laughs> but, um, and that's what I did in high school. And I threw javelin. Lols. What? I did not know that. Wow. And have we not discussed my javelin throwing? I almost impaled a kid on the first day of javelin practice, 10th grade. Wow. It when America terrible. goes full Hunger Games, I am on your team as you throw spears at the enemy. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, no. It's like I just, they were like, just throw it. And I was like, throw it where? And I threw it at this guy that was running. He was running track. Like, legit almost killed him. <laughs> I was like, this podcast almost never happens. Let me tell you. Wow. You know, he's doing well now. He's a banker. He's great. It's fine. Everything works out. I can't wait till. This is like passed down as folklore among your cult members because they can't hear from you directly because you're in silence. Listen, I've done a lot of high school crimes. Almost killed someone with a javelin. Once shot a kid with a BB gun. I didn't admit to it for three years. Wow. Then one time I killed somebody's tadpole, you know, like when we all had to collect tadpoles for experiments. And uh, I didn't tell him for a long time either. Oh, I can't even. He he was the same person as the BB gun. So it's fine. (laughs) My greatest high school crime was finding a wallet on school grounds and taking $20 out of it to buy weed before I returned no. it. I know. Okay, I know. that's I'm gonna, a real crime. I know. I'm going to burn in hell for that one. Like, there's no <gasps> question. There's no question. Wow. I know. Wow. Um, Sticky fingers and Friedman. Listen, it Who was not knew? ethical. But you know what? Years later, when we were in D.C. for a CYG event, I found a $100 bill on the floor of a hotel and turned it in as my cosmic penance. Wow. $100. <laughs> We could have partied with that. I know. (laughs) Just saying, I think about it not infrequently. I know it's like almost accidentally killing someone with a javelin is so much better than taking $20 out of a found wallet and spending it on drugs. (laughs) But shooting somebody with a BB gun is a crime. Okay, but wasn't an accident? Listen, it was an accident, but then I just didn't say that I was the one that did it, like, which was bad. Yeah, okay. I hear you. It was bad. And then I killed his tadpole. And I was like, why is God making me punish this Wait, kid? Wait, it was the same kid's tadpole? It was the same kid. Oh, my God. Wow. Where are they now? We talked about it years later. You know, he is also doing well. That His scar looks cool. Like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> if you went to my high school, please do not at me. Like, I'm not trying to relitigate this. Oh, my God. It was an accident. Talk to my lawyer. Do you want to hear something very outrageous? Let's end on a note of outrage. I'm ready. 
Olympic gymnast and amazing human being and gracious person, Ali Reisman, who has really been at the forefront talking about the gymnastics, like sexual assault scandal, basically that's been consuming U.S. gymnastics for the last year. And, you know, like she's she's been a real leader there and has like stepped up to the plate every single time. She's still having to deal with so much bullshit from people. So over the past weekend, she's basically been discussing how some people feel and by some people like adults think that gymnasts should stop wearing leotards because basically their outfits are too sexy. And maybe if their outfits weren't so sexy, the team coach would not sexually assault them. It's so insulting and ridiculous and angering. Yeah. And to Ali's credit, like she has been talking about it and She's very precise in all her words. She's like, it's victim shaming. It is implying that survivors should feel that it's their fault. And it lets like pedophiles off the hook. And it lets the adults who enable them off the hook. All of her tweets about this are great. But they're also heartbreaking in the sense that like, you know, she has to relive her assault over and over again. And just talk about it all of the time. That makes me really angry on her behalf. But I'm also really grateful that she is just like shining a light on just how just how pervasive rape culture is like what a ridiculous and like frankly like just evil thing to say to young women who are like at the top of their sport and provide entertainment for everybody and just you know like live their lives out in the public it's really gross i just can't this is one of those situations too where like i mean e- easily i don't i don't understand like men and people who are doing this type of victim victim blaming. I guess I just assume that the person who said this to her was a man, but we don't know, right? Um, the fact that, We don't like, know. The women at my high school who were pushing the dress code were, like, the teachers at my high school who pushed, like, a dress code that was similar were all women, you know? Right. But just the fact that, like, when people, when people basically advance... It's called concern trolling, right? When they when they yes. advance the attitude that they are supposedly trying to fight against and reinforce it with their suggestions. This is just like a textbook, like should be in the dictionary under concern trolling slash like re-victimization. I can't even like tell you what sort of attitude would lead someone to say, maybe have you thought about what you're wearing? I can't even, I can't even. But how, like, through, like, what, millennia of, like, victim-shaming women, it's always your fault somehow, but we have somehow not even reached, like, I don't know, the bare minimum of being like, well, how do we get men not to assault women? You know, like, how... It's like, I think about these gymnasts who, like, their parents entrust them to the U.S. Olympic Committee and, like, the USA Gymnastics to train with them. They send them off when they're really young, and it's really like to pursue their dreams and their opportunities. And there are people in their midst who just want to take advantage of them. That Larry Nasser sentencing was really shocking. 150 women testified. I remember watching that on TV and just crying. And Ali Reisman's statement was so powerful. It was so powerful. Right. We'll link to it in the show notes. But just like thinking about like having to go through that. Their abuser is now behind bars. And they still hear from people like, oh, if only uh, you wore a different costume to perform in every day, like this would not have happened to you is really, it is really disgusting. Yeah. And, and also the way, I mean, she keeps the focus squarely where it needs to be, which is not just on the 
people committing these crimes, but also the adults who are enabling them. Because, like, that's the other thing going on here, too, right? Of, oh, yeah, it seems easier to tell gymnasts what to wear than it does to shut down this entire apparatus of support that is, like, propping up horrible people. It's the easy way out. And she's like, I see you. I see you trying to take the easy way out and re-victimizing us in the process. And stop it. (laughs) If you think about where the gymnasts are in the entire power structure, they should be the ones with the most power. I'm like, they're the ones that are competing. They're the ones that bring the medals. They're the ones that bring the attention. Frankly, they're the only ones we care about. I don't care about the team doctor. Don't care about the trainers. Like, you guys don't figure anywhere. But in their world, they were made to feel like they were the least powerful. And it's because we don't take women seriously. Not even, like, incredibly strong women Olympic athletes. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, shout out to Ali Reisman, who is amazing. And uh, yeah, and honestly, like for me, has been like a real bomb. I'm like just love hearing her all the time. And it makes me feel better that, you know, somebody else gets it and is really out there advocating for herself and for other people. It's really beautiful to see. Absolutely. True hero. True hero. I'm very angry, so I'm going to go eat uh, my favorite cookies, the chessmen, and uh, lay down because it has been a day. You deserve it. Go rewatch Wild Wild Country again. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I just I, I have so many questions. I have more questions than not. They don't even get into all of the weird sex stuff because that's all cults are, weird sex things. Oh, my God, completely. And also, yeah, there's, like, also the, the, the spirals that you can go down in terms of, like, like side materials about all of this cult and all of the history and all of, like, the famous people vaguely connected to it. Wow. I mean, it's, like, you don't even need to rewatch it. You can just, like, do a Google for all your supplementals. Yeah, it is, it is wild. You know, if I ever start a cult, I'm going to make it very transparent. And the cult will be called cult with a K. And I will be the cult leader with a K. The others will be the cult members. And then everybody knows what's going on here. Okay. I hate, then, I hate to bring it to you. And you got to pay but... in cult cash with Ks. <laughs> I hate to bring it to you, but cult with a K is a horror role-playing game from Sweden in the 90s. I just Googled it. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> we're done here. I will see you on the internet. Goodbye. <laughs> See you in the cult role-playing game. (laughs) Oh, my God. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts. We'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. See you on the internet, boo-boo. Bye.